0: All right, guys, we are in our series in James chapter two. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, I encourage you to grab them and, and find your place. We're going to be in chapter two, uh, the first 13 verses of that chapter. And so um, we, we've been in this thing where James is showing us different tests that we can apply to ourselves to see how strong our relationship with Christ is, uh, to see, first of all, if there's a relationship with Christ, and then if it is where we are at in our spiritual growth that Christ is trying to, to create in us and that He's trying to accomplish in us. And in chapter 2, verse 1, He starts with a command for us, and then He's going to follow that with kind of a, an illustration, a parable, a story that will kind of help us to see what He's, what he's trying to, um, to guide us to do And then he's going to come back and once again shoot straight for our hearts. The thing I love about what James writes is that, number one, it's very practical. It's something that you can take from this place and you can begin to apply even before you leave this building. But James doesn't just focus on the outward. He looks at our heart and he encourages us uh, in our relationship with the Lord to examine our hearts carefully and to make sure that we are... um, we're everything that God intends for us to be. So let's look at the command that he starts with today. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So here's his command. I don't want you to show any kind of partiality. In other words, faith and favoritism do not go together. If you want to play favorites, then you're not going to be a person of strong faith. If you want to have a strong faith, then you're not going to be able to, to be a person who shows favoritism to one uh, over another. You're going to be a person who treats people the way that God treats people, who sees people the way that God sees people. And so if we're going to grow in our faith, and, and what he says here, to hold on to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are not going to be people who show partiality. This will be a test that we have to apply to our hearts. So before we leave here today, one of the things that we want to do is to examine our hearts and say, am I a person who shows preference or favor to one group over another group or to one person over another person? Am, am I the person that, that would select to, to show favor to people that are a little more like me? Or am I willing to cross some barriers and to love people that, that would not be just like me? So let's look at this and see. He gives us an example here in the next couple of verses. He says, here's an example of what I'm talking about. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly. So here's a rich man walking in with, with this gold ring with nice clothes on. And then a poor man. In shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, Look, you sit here in the good place, and then you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or you can sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's the story Church is gathered. And in through the back door come two guests, one that's dressed to the hilt. Man, he looks nice, he smells nice, he's, he's, he's wearing these, these, these symbols of, of success on him. And you say to him, brother, you come, I want you to sit right up here by me. I've got a chair that I'm going to sit in, I saved a chair just for you. You come sit right beside me. But right behind him walks in a person who is wearing shabby clothes. Somebody who may not look or smell or be dressed as nice as the guy that just came in the door. And you say to him, hey, you you can sit over there, back in the back. He says, if you do that, have you not shown favoritism? Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, what's, what's the problem here? here here's, here's the deal. You've got two guys who come in simultaneous. And you treat one better than you treated the other. You welcome one. And look at the contrast that he puts here. It's a man with a gold ring and fine clothing compared to a poor man in shabby clothing. He's drawing a contrast here. Notice how they treat him. You pay attention to the rich man, you offer him the best seat in the house, you don't pay much attention to the poor man. And you say, oh, you can sit over there, or you can stand over. Look, one gets to sit, the other one has to stand. Or if you want to sit, then you just come sit here on the dirt floor, at my feet. This, this, this terminology that he uses too, he says, you can sit down at my feet. That, that word for feet is at my footstool. In Scripture, when, when, the, when the Bible refers to this word footstool, in, in every other place other than right here in James, it's, it's a picture of this, this place of subjection, it uses the, 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 the image of the footstool when it says that when Jesus returns, his enemies will sit at his footstool. They will sit in subjection. It's a, it's a picture of somebody who's been conquered and demoted and, and humiliated, and they're sitting there at their footstool under subjection. That's a picture of what, what this is. That's how the word is used in every other place in the New Testament when it talks about somebody sitting at a footstool. It's not a place of honor. It's a place of subjection, a place where you're being put in your place, boy. The enemies of Christ, when Christ returns, all of his enemies will be in in subjection to Christ, sitting in the image of at his footstool. It's not a place that you would want to be. And and notice this, he doesn't even say, hey, you can sit on my footstool. Here's, Here's what's going through the mind. This is the image that's being painted. You got a guy in nice clothes. And you say, man, I wouldn't want to ask him to sit on the floor. So I'm going to provide him a nice seat. But then I got this poor guy in shabby clothes. I mean, the floor, that's probably where he lives, right? It's what he's used to. We'll just give him what he deserves, what he's used to, what he's accustomed to. And James says, you are making some distinction between these two. And what James is going to do today that's even more powerful is he's going to go deeper and go, why is it that we do? these things and the reason that we make distinctions is an issue of pride in our heart i I get this picture in my mind and and, and maybe i'm just reading more into the story than it's there but this is a picture i've got i'm i'm the host i've got my seat that i'm going to sit in and there's two people that walk in the door one rich and one poor i want the rich guy to sit next to me because i want to be associated with him I'm going to up my status by being near to him. And I'm going to distance myself from the poor guy. You see that imagery that he's playing out here? It's a pride issue. I want you to think that I'm more like the rich man than I am like the poor man. And there's a pride issue that goes here. There's two seats that are available. Right? Not You can say, oh, well, there was just one seat available. Maybe the rich guy came in first, and that's why he got it. It's not what James is saying, is it? There's two seats available, but the man never thinks about giving up his seat for the poor guy. Could have done that. He could have seated both of his guests in a place of honor, but he doesn't do it. He says, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the good seat next to me, and and, and we're going to be buddies. Maybe you can help me. I'm going to scratch your back today. Maybe you can scratch my back later. I want to be associated with you, not with that. Humility would have been to say, you know what? Hey, rich guy, come here. You sit here. Hey, hey poor guy, come here. You take my seat. That would have been humility. Never crossed the mind of the man in the story that James tells. Instead, we make distinctions. We make judgments. Which one is deserving of the good seat? Well, society would say the well-dressed, successful businessman. He's worthy of the best seat. This other guy? Yeah he's not. So we're going to give him what he's used to and we're going to give him what he's used to. We're going to measure these men by the world's standards. That's what we'll do. The world says gold ring, nice clothes, nice things. The world says poor man, shabby clothes, yeah, you're used to it anyway. Just get over there and be quiet. We're not going to kick you out, but we're not going to honor you and we're not going to Show the same respect for you that we would for somebody else. And in this story, the poor man is devalued. He's disgraced. And James will later say he was dishonored by the people who call them the people of God. He says, you've, you've, you've not, haven't, have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? A bad heart. Where do the evil thoughts come from? They come out of an evil heart. This prideful heart that lacks compassion upon others. And and what's really sad about this situation is that this prideful heart doesn't even begin to make the spiritual connection. Prejudice is a horrible, horrible sin. We want to minimize it. Well, it's just part of our culture. You know, we just grew up that way. I don't care how you grew up. Sin is sin. And Jesus came to change that in us. When we live our lives looking down on somebody because of the clothes on their back, or the money in their pocket, or the color of their skin, or their political affiliation, We are no different than the characters in this story because it all comes out of a heart filled with pride. Racial prejudice comes from pride. My race is better than your race. Where I come from and where I hail from and the people that I were born through are better than your people. And we've seen the devastation of that. We still feel it in our society today. Male chauvinism, men are better than women. Really? That's pride. Rich better than poor. Nice house better than a trailer house. We we, we measure people by all these worldly standards. And what James is gonna boil it down to today is this. Don't use the world standard. To measure people because when you do it it's coming out of an evil heart i give you a better standard james is going to say that we are to use and that standard has to start with us he tells them how foolish their their measurement is you've you've had two people walk through your door you've instantly made judgments about them those judgments have influenced your behavior toward them but look what he says in verse five but listen my beloved brothers Again, he's trying to be tender with them. He's relating to them as a brother in Christ, but he's calling them out. He's saying, listen, has God not chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Your judgment, he says, is in in direct opposition to how God sees people. Now, now God doesn't play favorites, but look what he says. The ones that God's choosing are are those who are poor in the eyes of this world. Again, we we talked about this at the beginning of the series in James, but but so much of of what James is writing is coming out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He talks about all these things that, that the world would devalue, and he says, No, no, that's what I value. The, the world would value this, this cockiness, this pridefulness, this 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 stand up and, and and let them see you kind of attitude. And Jesus goes, that's not what I'm after. The world values pride. We value humility, Jesus says. Big difference. You're doing it the opposite of what, what God does. God chooses the poor in the world and he makes them rich in faith. Part of the reason is the poor in this world, sometimes the only thing they have to hold on to is God. Everybody else has shoved them aside. Everybody else has forgotten about them. And, and, and for, for those that, are, that, that, that grow up in, in, in poverty or, or go through a crisis where they're left alone, you, All they have sometimes is God and they cling to the Lord and they trust in the Lord and their faith grows because they're not trusting in themselves. He makes them rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, the kingdom that he's promised to those that love him. But you, James says, here comes the contrast. This is how God does it. Now, this is how you do it. You have dishonored the poor man. And here's what's so foolish about that, James says. Look at this. you honored the rich man. You've dishonored the poor man. But, but is it not the rich that oppress you? And aren't they the ones who drag you off into court? And, and aren't these rich ones the ones who are blaspheming the honorable name by which you were called? Now, is James blasting all rich people? Is he saying you can't be rich? That's, that's not what he's trying to do here. But, but here's probably what was taking place in that culture and part of the, the context that we've got to continue to remember as we study this passage, is that the church is under persecution, right? James is the, the pastor, if you will, of the church of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, the center point of, of all Judaism, and, and when Christianity is birthed and it begins to explode and grow, the Jews began to persecute the Christians. Many of those who are poor in this story would have been poor because they chose to follow Jesus and leave behind Judaism. And as they chose to follow Jesus, their families excommunicated them. Their work that was tied into the family farm is, is no longer there and they are left hungry. We see all throughout the beginning of the New Testament, the, the reason that this poverty existed in them was because they chose to walk with Jesus. So now we've got widows who don't have food. We've got masses who need to be fed. We've got people who are selling their land and their homes and their possessions and bringing it and laying it at the feet of the apostles because there, there, there's people that need to be fed. And the church begins by doing an incredible ministry of of feeding and caring for those who've given up everything to walk with Jesus. That's the poor. Who are the rich? It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the ruling class in the Jewish culture that still have all their wealth. And so you get this picture of, here's your brother in Christ who now is dirt poor and walks in the door. And here are the Pharisees that have nothing to do. with They blaspheme the name of Jesus. They drag you off into court. They, they, want to, they want to put you to death. Remember what Paul was doing when, when he met Jesus? He was dragging believers off into court. And, and, and James is saying, these, these very people that you're honoring are the ones trying to destroy the work of Christ. And the very ones that you ignore are the ones that Jesus has saved. You get this picture? going on here. And and he's saying, you guys have got it all wrong because all you can do is see things the way the world sees things. And that's not at all the way that God sees things. So here's the deal. You're honoring the rich man. You're dishonoring the poor man, but it's the rich that are oppressing you, the rich that are dragging you to court and the rich that are busy blaspheming the honorable name by which you're called. You know, again, he is not blasting all rich people. But in that case, that was what was happening in that that culture, in that environment, in the context in which this is written. He's saying the very people that are trying to destroy the faith are the ones that you're you're honoring. And the very ones that have come into the faith and have lost everything are the ones you're saying, go sit in the dirt. You can sit at my feet. What James is contrasting in this passage, and this is what we've got to grab a hold of, is the difference between how men view and value other men contrasted with how God views and values other people. The underlying attitude that we see in this passage is one of pride that seeks to distinguish us from others. I want you to think that I'm more like the rich guy. But in reality... In God's eyes, I'm no different than the poor guy. We, we do that a lot, not just with wealth. We do this a lot in the spiritual realm. I, I want to hang out and be in association with spiritual people so that people will think that I'm spiritual or that I'm more spiritual maybe than I am. And I want to treat those who are a little less spiritual than me in a different way than I would treat the other ones. Such distinctions, James says, flow from a sinful heart that's been blinded by pride. Here's what pride does in the, in the spiritual world, okay? Pride blinds us to our own spiritual poverty. It blinds us to to the reality of where we are. Just like the rich man who said, Hey, come sit next to me. Poor man, you sit at my feet or go stand in the corner. What I'm saying is, I'm I'm like the rich, but I'm not like the poor. And maybe you are in man's eyes, but not in God's eyes. And what James is saying here is, Let's don't adopt the world's standards, let's live by God's standards. So in these verses, verses 5 through the, the following verses, he's contrasting the world's value system with God's value system. And he's saying, here's the test. Which one are you living by? Which one of those value systems have you adopted as your value system? Do you look at those who are poor and are struggling and try to distance yourself from them? Or do you enter into their struggle? Some of us are afraid to help poor people. Because if I give them some of mine, it, it, it kind of brings the scales back a little more closely. You ever thought about that? If I take some of my wealth and I give it to the poor guy, then he's got a little more wealth and i got a little less wealth. And all of a sudden, they're a little more like me. And I like to distinguish myself from them. We do it sometimes in the spiritual world, too, where we want to nitpick those who are other believers. And we want to knock them down a little bit so that we can be a little more like them. And we, we sometimes just nitpick people to death. James says the value system that we adopt reveals a whole lot about our own hearts. So do we value people the way the world values people? Or do we value people the way that God values people? Because God says many times it's the spiritually poor. I mean, the the physically poor that are spiritually rich. And it's the outcasts of society that are actually the heirs of the kingdom. And James is saying to us today that the world has it backwards. So let's apply this test to our heart and let's ask the question, do, do I live with pride in my heart when I look at other people? When you see somebody who is a little bit different than you, are you filled with compassion for them? Or are you filled with disdain? Do you say, God, thank you that I'm not like them? Do you say, thank you, Lord, that you've you've blessed me so that I can bless others? Both can sound thankful. Sometimes we thank God that we're not like other people. And that's an issue of, of, of pride. For those in James' audience who convinced themselves that pride was really not a serious issue, <laughs> James is going to drill down deeper here. Some were not convinced that pride was a big deal. Just like some of us may be convinced that pride's not that big of a deal. After all, I can keep it hidden. I may think those thoughts about somebody else, but I would never say them. So is just thinking them as bad as saying them? Or is that about the same? Well, James is about to do something here that's going to put all of that on the same level. I need you to follow me. Okay, watch this. He says, and here we are now in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, God's law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. Let's stop and ask a question now. Were the people in James' story loving others the way they loved themselves? You say, man, they love the rich guy like they love themselves. Okay. But did they love the poor guy the way they love themselves? Not at all. So had they fulfilled the law? Not at all. He's trying to say you fell short of the law. Why? Because you didn't love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is not just the rich, even though that may be the neighborhood you want to live in. Your neighbor is not just those that are like you, but our neighbor are those that are around us that are even different than us. So he says, for those of you that are not convinced that pride's a serious issue that can hinder your walk with God and destroy even the church's effectiveness with others, let me give you this test. Whose standard are you going to use in your relationship with others? Is it going to be the world's standard or is it going to be God's standard? In verses 8 through 13, he takes and cuts like a knife flaying through this prideful heart just lays it bare and says let's talk about your heart if you really want to fulfill the royal law and you got to love your neighbor as yourself if you do that you're doing well but if you show partiality then you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor if you show partiality he says you're committing a sin and you are now a sinner. You're convicted by the law, judged as guilty by God's word, he says. He said, but it's just, it's just a thought. Just, I don't say it out loud. They don't even know what I'm thinking. But God does. And look what he says. Whoever keeps the whole law, can you hear the Pharisees here? Listen to this. Well, I tithe. And I go to church and I pray and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, whoever keeps the whole law, he says, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not murder. And if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, then you still become a transgressor of the law. So it, it just takes one sin to be a sinner, right? We've said this before. If I only kill, how many people do I have to kill to be a murderer? Just one. And how many times do I have to sin to be a sinner? Just one. And James is trying to drive us home. You say that pride's not a big issue because you keep it tucked away and hidden in your heart, and nobody really knows what you're thinking. James says God knows. And that one sin makes you a sinner. And that one sin that makes you a sinner makes you a sinner in need of a Savior, just like the poor man and the rich man. You're on a lot more equal footing, he says, than you think. And, and here's something that is so powerful in this passage that you've got to catch. In the Bible, adultery and murder were treated how? How? You killed somebody. What happened to you? You died. If you got caught committing adultery, what happened to you? You died. If you get caught with pride in your heart, guess what? Spiritually dead. See where James is going with this? It's not just by coincidence that he picks murder and adultery. Those were two things that the Pharisees would have. Oh, brother, I've never killed anybody. And I've never committed adultery. Well, let's go back and think about what Jesus said to the Pharisees about murder and adultery. Remember that? If you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, then guess what you've just done? You've committed adultery. I mean, you've committed murder. If you have lust in your heart for a woman, guess what you've just done? You've just committed adultery. But I I, I didn't have sex with her. Did you lust in your heart? Okay, then you've committed adultery. I I didn't pull the trigger. Did you hate your brother? Yeah. Then you're guilty of murder. I didn't say those things I was thinking. No, but it came from a wicked heart. And you're guilty that that's how you feel and that's how you view people, whether you ever say it or act on it at all. You see somebody else and get proud and puffed up and go, Glad I'm not like that. You're guilty. And just as murder and adultery carried the death penalty, so spiritually, pride carries the death penalty. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? To the humble. Was their response to the poor man an humble response? Was it, Lord, thank you that I've got a seat that I can give up for this man? Not at all. All. In fact, you just sit at my feet down there in the dirt where you're used to sitting. And everything's going to be fine. James is aiming for our heart here. Got to thinking about some examples of this secret, hidden, prideful attitude that sometimes pops up in my heart. hard for me to admit these things, but I need to. What about if I see somebody on the side of the road, and they don't look that clean, but they need a ride? And I think, man, if I stop and pick that person up, I'm probably going to have to clean my truck. Now, those of you that have seen my truck, you know what a joke that is, right? <laughs> what about the thought, well, I I might not can invite that person into my home. Their their shoes are muddy, and I'd have to clean the floor after they left. Maybe they're too dirty. Maybe they're too needy. And if I get too close to them, it's going to cost me something. Maybe you look at somebody who's had a struggle for a long time, and you go, you know what? I don't need to waste my time on somebody like that. What about this statement? Those people. Anytime you start a statement with those people, the pride light ought to go off. But those people, they just get what they deserve. Poor people are poor because that's just what they've chosen. What about this? I've heard this statement being made in churches. Those people are not the ones that we feel called to reach. Is that pride or what? So somebody Jesus died for is not somebody you feel called to reach? That's pride. What about this? People like that, there's another one of those statements, will never change. They're just a hopeless cause. Sometimes we think, well, they made their bed Just let them sleep in it. But I don't know how many beds I've made that I've begged God to get me out of. Mm -hmm. It's kind of quiet in here today. (laughs) This is the issue of pride and it creeps into our hearts. And maybe you don't struggle with this the way that I struggle with this. But I got to tell you what, this has been a tough week wrestling with this passage to go, you know what, there's a whole lot more pride there than I want to admit and we might not say these things to the other people because we want to be politically correct or we want to pretend like we really love them when we don't but when we think it even if we don't act upon it we think it and these thoughts reside in our hearts James says those thoughts are sinful let's go a little deeper This is one that really convicted me this week, that sometimes even in our prayer life, our prayers can be laced with pride. God, they really need your help. I mean, I know they're not walking with you, and I know that right now they are far from home, but God, they need you. And you pray it as if that's not your story, but just theirs. Or how about this, Lord, I could never do what they've done. And I know it must disgust you. But I need to pray for them anyway. Is that pride? So even in our prayers, our prayers can be laced with pride. How ironic. How ironic. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to pray for you out of a heart full of pride. We ever see examples of that in Scripture? Scripture. What about the story that Jesus tells? Uh, it's in Luke chapter 18. It says Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. There's the pride, and they trusted that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. So Jesus, here's the story: Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee; the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like all other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he just beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Think of that story. And do this as you pray. Let God really examine your heart, your motives. When you pray for others, is it laced with pride? When you look at others that, that you see, is it out of a prideful glance and, 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 and a thankful heart that you're not like all others, as this Pharisee said? And it's easy to try to justify it and say, well, even if I pray with pride, at least I'm praying. And, and that may not be bad in, by society's standard but the world standard is not what we're aiming for. That's not what God's called us to live up to. He doesn't say, hey, take the society standard and just go one step above it. He says, let me set the standard for you. There's only one standard for believers that's worthy of their time and their attention and their effort, and that's God's perfect standard. And oh, by the way, Since you miss that standard every day, you're a person who's in need of grace. And look what he says here. He he says in, in verse 12, So speak and act as those who are to be judged. He's bringing it full circle now. He's saying, look, we've exposed the pride that we often wrestle with. And now I want you to act as a person who knows that one day you're going to stand before God and need grace and need mercy. In fact, every day you live, you need grace and you need mercy. So keep that in the front of your mind when you begin to look at other people. Keep that in the front of your mind when you begin to judge others. How am I judging them? And am I judging them the way that I want God to judge me? So live and act and speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. This this, this person who's going to appear before the Lord and need his grace and the grace that the gospel offers us. And here's the warning. For judgment without mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. You look with pride in your heart toward others and have no mercy upon them. Guess what? One day you're going to stand before the Lord, and if you've given no mercy, you shouldn't expect any mercy. You see how James just kind of lays everything wide open. So I thought about, what do, you, what do I call this sermon? How do you summarize what James is trying to say? This one question kept running through my mind. Can you smell yourself? Can you smell yourself? You ever had somebody's been outside working, sweating, just going at it hard, and they walk in the room, and you go, and they just sit down and smile and drink a coke, and you go, do they not smell what I smell? Janet asked me that a lot. I have those sweat jeans, you know, and it's not a sweet sweat. The question is not, can everybody else in the room smell me? The question is, can I smell myself? There's days that I walk in after a hard day's work and I go, and I know if I can smell myself, everybody else can smell myself. But here's the real tragedy. It's when I stink and I can't even smell myself. I've gotten so accustomed to the smell, it doesn't bother me anymore. Pride can be that way in my heart. I've grown so accustomed to my southern traditions. I've grown so accustomed to the world's standards that I can't even smell my stink anymore. Now, that doesn't mean everybody else in the room can't, but I can't. And I thought about this this week. I thought, you know what? The poor and the powerless and all those that had nothing to offer were drawn to Jesus by the thousands but now they're repulsed by his very church why is that? why would they be drawn to Jesus but repulsed by us? could it be That we can't smell ourselves anymore. Our pride would tell us that the reason that they don't come anymore is that, well, we stand for the truth, brother. And they just love their sin. We are the light, and they just love darkness. But how is that different than in Jesus' day? They love Jesus. Do you love truth more than Jesus loves truth? And that's why they can't stand you. If Jesus stood for truth and they still loved him, what's the difference? Is our light more pure than Jesus' light? And that's why they're offended? Is our world, I hear this all the time, is our world just more wicked now than it ever has been before? It's really not. Now, our world is in a mess. But it's not any worse now than it's ever been before. I really don't think so. I, I think the church is making less of an impact now than ever before. But people have always been sinful. I suspect that the reason sinners were drawn to Jesus but not to his church has more to do with us than it does with them. Perhaps our pride is not as offensive to us as it is to the world who smells it, and to our God who sees it. Perhaps they see and smell what we choose to ignore. And perhaps we become a lot more like that Pharisee than our pride would like to admit. If we, and I'm speaking to me, if we're going to have an impact on the world that God intends for us to have, then we've got to confess our pride. We've got to allow God to humble us before Him. We've got to let Him show us this prideful stuff in our hearts so that we can confess it and forsake it. And only then will we begin to love others. The way that Jesus loves others. And then maybe the world will find something attractive in the church, something worth coming for. When they find us to be this family that no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter where you've been, you are loved, and you are accepted, and you are wanted. And I'm willing to give you my seat if you'll just come. That's the kind of people James is calling us to be. And that's the test of what it means to be a true believer. Go back to verse 1. James says this. As a brother in Christ, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Faith and this favoritism are incompatible you can't hang on to both I don't know if anybody else in this room struggles with this the way that I struggle maybe I'm just alone in this struggle or maybe you are as well but I think today the best thing we could do would be Lord search me and know me and try me and see if there's any of this wickedness in my heart and God if there is reveal it to me and let me get this right so that I'm not a stench in your nostrils or in the nostrils of this world who needs to know Jesus. Where are you at? And can you smell yourself? Let's make sure that if there's pride, we let God deal with that. Because when the pride's gone, the humility can fill our hearts. And that humility will give us this desire to serve and to love anybody and everybody that God brings our way. Okay? Let's pray.